Welcome to Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Waff. Kickstart for you. The last kickstart for the month, right? For September? Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. Ooh, quick. It's going to be October next weekend. <laughs> Jeez, dude. I know, right? And you know what that means? That means the NHL has returned to the ice for training camp as they approach the new season. Shortened training camp now. It's not because of COVID. I just think they, they started doing that thing the NFL does, and they're abbreviating the training camp because what ends up happening a lot of times <laughs> training camp too damn long People get hurt, man. And next thing you know, right. you, you're missing miss eight weeks. <laughs> you're missing starters two months into the season. Lame, lame, lame. Anyway, so I'm excited that there's lots of fun stuff. It's exciting for lots of fans, even the ones that have been haven't had a lot to be excited about the last five, six years for the NHL. So parody in the league is alive and well, which is the whole point of the salary cap, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's the only sport that has a salary cap that actually where the salary cap works in favor of making a more balanced league as opposed to the NBA and the MLB and NFL where they just pay a, a, a luxury tax for going over because they've got the money for days. If you got a football team, you don't have, money's not a problem for you. So that's what's funny when luxury tax comes into play. I'm like, well, the salary cap doesn't mean shit if you're paying a penalty because that's just you paying a penalty to have more cap. It just It's dumb. I don't ever understood that. Yeah, man. Salary cap's a weird thing, like in general, in every sport. And it's, uh, yeah, it's always when people start talking about salary cap, I just kind of tap out. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I don't get it. It's weird, dude. I don't know. It's like a way to cheat that uh, makes everybody feel okay about themselves, I guess. It's exactly the way. <laughs> that's how I feel about it. I mean, anyway. is, that, is that what it is? I mean, that's kind of how I would best describe it if somebody were to ask me. <laughs> right. When we have NBA, NFL, or MLB announcements for contracts, I always, it just, it just brings this eye roll for me. I'm like, I don't care how much you're going to make because it doesn't matter. Because if your team, NFL, I mean, you can't do this with the NBA or the MLB, but NFL, the ability for a team just to, or a contract doesn't mean shit to you. They just go, yeah, we don't want you anymore and you're gone. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's almost like, don't they have a player's union that doesn't allow for shit like that? But that's why so many of those players get a big chunk of money up front because they can get cut at any time, regardless of what the reasoning. But Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Totally. Sports is weird. Sports, sports is, is weird. Sports is weird. As, as, as we wind down and get, you know, baseball started about to start cranking into the playoffs. Football is rolling into its third week, I guess, right? Yeah, this weekend. Yeah, yeah. man. Hockey and basketball coming up on the heels of that. And, yeah. You know, it's weird, man, is this is like maybe the first weekend in uh, in recent memory where there wasn't a UFC card. How weird is that? What happened? We everybody got COVID? Everybody got COVID. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not laughing. Everybody got COVID. I don't know, man. I just no, like, and I, it's I, weird. I, I feel like they have a card every week. There's, there's something. And this week there wasn't. It was weird. What is that part of that ESPN's deal when they took over just to make sure they had something to show? I don't know, man. It's well, like, uh, yeah, I mean, Dana White, I mean, dude, they crank out these cards like weekly, like literally. like, And they're good cards. Usually there's, you know, it's not. And the thing about the UFC that I, I understand why people want to see it more than bo why, how it's eclipsed boxing is the best dudes are always fighting the best dudes. Like the matchups are always, it's not like, you know, some champ and then somebody you've never heard of, you know, some guy who's a plumber five days a week and trains on the weekend. You know, I mean, I remember when I started to lose interest in boxing, Roy Jones was fighting guy like, garbage men and, you know, who were part-time <laughs> boxers and shit. And they're like, oh, he's a seventh ranked light heavyweight in the world. No, is he? Cause he's cop five days a week and then he fights on the weekend. So how did that happen? <laughs> but you know, I mean, that doesn't happen with this. I mean, these guys are all, you know, they're all, 
fairly evenly matched and that, you know, and sometimes, you know, there's a lot of upsets. That's the thing, you know, right. But again, yeah, there just wasn't a card this weekend, which was weird because, you know, there'll be one next weekend and the next 10 weekends, I guarantee it. But uh, yeah, man. So weirdly slow weekend in sports um, as far as that goes. Right. We, and then I mentioned the parody that you get in the NHL, which with the Sauer cap and actually how it works in favor of that kind of balancing the talent throughout the league. I felt like UFC the last, I don't know, five, six years, something like that, close to right when Fox had let the contract go. They, we have people that are, they're not household names, even if you're casually or a UFC fan. Right. You can't be a casual UFC fan anymore and, and no. still keep up on on who's who. Um, that that's one thing about boxing always had was it could promote the shit out of somebody. And most of the time <laughs> towards the end, I mean, yeah, you know, and I tore, I just say towards the, but the like the last 10 years, I mean, pre pandemic the previous 10 years before the 2020, so many of, uh, of the higher rate, you know, boxers, you know, like Roy, like, like Roy Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather, where he has his own, uh, um, promotion company. Yep. And you were starting to see that more. It wasn't like Don King. It was like when we were growing up, it was Don King and then like two people. And then you never heard their name because right. it Don the King. Dubas, it was the Dubas, Bob Arum, and Don King. Yeah, right. And they would just go in because he was the was guy. It? Yeah. If you but, weren't signed with those guys, you know, you yeah. were lucky to get a title fight. Yeah. And you're, you're just fighting at the Olympic downtown if you're in LA. Right. Yeah. Or, or over at the Forum. I do think that's one thing. If you're a UFC fan, a casual fan, it's you're going to always step in, and, and most of the time, names are going to be new to you, which is good. I mean, it's like like you're talking about. It's it, it allows um, better fighters to come up, and not just fighters that are names, and which is always nice. We haven't seen the kind of name situation. I mean, look at the women's when when Ronda lost. Right when she when she lost, and then um, when Holly Combs beat her, right? Yeah. And Holly how and how long did Holly have her title for? Like a day? <laughs> she lost in her next fight. Well, <laughs> it's funny because uh, she was winning every second of that fight against Misha Tate, and yeah. then uh, I mean, she just got a Misha lucky Tate break. Her out. Yeah, she just got yeah, a lucky with break. Like, yeah, with, with like eighty-five seconds left, she got on her back and like you know, she choked home. But you know, it's weird, man. Is like the parody. Uh, the I mean, women's MMA is like from that moment when Rousey got knocked cold and it right. was like her, her cloak of invincibility was gone. Right. Uh, I mean, just the women's fighting, the women's fighting has come to me like 500% up from that, from that moment. Like, I mean, dude, I, I watched some of these women fight now and they, I mean, I'm just like, oh my God, you know, you're watching it. It's, it's pretty impressive. I mean, it's real impressive, not pretty. It's real impressive. And yeah, it's just it's it's it uh, where women's boxing never really caught on or or really tried to catch on. I mean, no. the UFC, you know, they 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 saw what they saw the potential there, and they you know they really went for it. Yeah, we were, I remember being in the room because we still had UFC when when Ronda was you know at the height of her power, so to speak, and and then Holly beat here, but leading up to that whole week, and that and I here's the thing. I think Ronda is a tremendous fighter. I mean, obviously now she's in WWE, but so obviously her role in in the world of performing has changed. Her her trainer is the reason why she lost that fight. Yeah, man, absolutely. She just never, I mean, she needed to move on I mean, from that gym. I mean, I just feel like she never took the step. It was all evolving and she didn't evolve with it. Right. And she got, you know, by the time it was too late, like right. the next wave of fighters 
they were more, were far more well-rounded than her. And yeah. she also sort of fell in love with the punching thing, right? And she kind of forgot what she was good at. That was the dumbest thing ever. And that's what kind of was getting to her trainer. I mean, only I could think of all week when they were promoting it, you know, when he, when the trainer was talking that he was, you know, he, she was going to be fighting, you know, from the waist up. And I'm like, wait, what? That's not your, and she's fighting a highly trained kickboxer. Right. (laughs) And she's fight, And she's a golden glove boxer. Holly was like, she like, you can't, you can't beat her at that game. So why try? And the irony of course is how does she get knocked out? Holly kicks her, does something kicks her to her, in the head, kicks her like, and it basically cuts off her float or her brain because he catch her, catches her right in the chin and the neck, and she catches that jugular and just she goes and she went flat down. I was just like, uh, but I thought all week, man, maybe her trainers just got every, everybody thinking she's gonna, you know, just stay upright and not and try to beat her that way. By the time you got there, <laughs> that's how she died in in the yeah, ring. Was totally it was dumb anyway. That's what happens when you stay with a trainer too long or you used to a certain way of fighting and you lose that thing. Like that's what happened with Mike when he fought Buster Douglas. He lost, he lost a man, he lost a father figure and a trainer and it, well, yeah. spi- it spiraled him. So but that shows you how important a trainer is to a fighter. Wow, man. Almost 10 minutes hey. of boxing talk. <laughs> yeah, right. UFC and boxing. Well, good Lord. What's, what is this show today? Uh, anyway. <laughs> That was for the people that feel left out when we were talking about, uh, uh, you know, dainty podcasts and, and shows yeah, that there you are go. made for 12-year-old girls. <laughs> Muscle up, baby. Um, <laughs> what I was going to say, what I w- what I wanted to sort of just touch base on, well, it's two things, like my, uh, it, and they they coincide, so I'm just going to start, I'm going to start early with the, uh, with my rear view review. Uh, so I went back and watched the uh, 1980 Paul Schrader, Richard Gere American Gigolo, because I love it. I mean, I've seen it a lot. It's a, it's a movie uh, because I'm a big L.A. noir, 80s neo-noir fan. And I, I feel like that's, if, if you're talking like neo-noir from the 80s, Los Angeles, American Gigolo is on your list. So, I mean, I watch it every, I watch it like once a year because it's kind of a genre that I'm into, or maybe once every two years, a couple, you know, I, I've seen it a lot. Going back to when I was a kid, probably when I was 10 or 11, which is weird, on cable. And I saw it a lot. And I was attracted originally because of the Blondie song, right? Like, of course. It was all over the radio, you know, and I was like, oh, it's from, you know, and I was like, and now, you know, and I'm like, American Gigolo, you know, I no idea really what it was. It was like 10. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the song, and I, I'm, uh, you know how, I, dude, I love gear. I, I fucking love Richard Gear. I mean, I, I could go right down and list 10 movies that I've seen probably 15 times at piece. Uh, I know you're not as big a gear fan as I oh, am. No, American I totally Gigolo. Am. No, I totally am. I just didn't, I've never seen American Gigolo. It's just one of those things that's, that's always just missed me. Oh, oh gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. I, I was thinking at one point, I thought somebody I was talking to doesn't like gear. And no, like, no. Get him. And no, because like, well. you know, because you know, like we, one of the first things we ever talked about early on, I think it was oh, on, on our three Internal hour Affairs. hang, we were talking about Internal Affairs. Yeah. Dude, right. I fucking love that But movie. I mean. Yeah. By the way, that that is Nancy Travis in that one, by the way, I don't point that because I made a yes, I made a Nancy. What I said, Nancy Allen. When I was talking about Nancy Travis, I meant to talk about Nancy. no. I, but see, it's funny. I didn't even really process it because I totally <laughs> you knew what I you were talking about. Yeah, but yeah. So, but American Gigolo, man. So American Gigolo. It's funny. What, it, I'll, I'll start there. So American Gigolo, Paul Schrader. I mean, dude, this really captures 1980s Los Angeles. I mean, good lord, dude. They're, they're they walk up to the Bruin. Right there's the scene. Um, you know, where gear is being followed by this nerdy guy who's put onto him by this senator. 
uh, or Congressman Stratton, and uh, you know, and gear and literally they they stop in front of the Bruin, and gear grabs him and slams him against a wall. It's a, a wall sized mural from the Warriors, <laughs> like the Warriors <laughs> is playing at the Bruin uh, when he slams him up against the wall, and the whole scene takes place. And gear takes the sharpie out and writes on his forehead, and you know, tells him to fuck off. All in front of Walter Hill's, this beautiful poster of, you know, wall size uh, display. It, it's it's, but it's such a time capsule, and uh, I mean, and it looks fantastic. It's beautifully shot. It's noir to the core. I mean, and you know, you you look at this movie and you you look at the people in it. I mean, Lauren Hutton as Michelle is she's fantastic. She's beautiful. It's so funny because of the behavior in this movie. It, it was unlike anything. I you know, as I got older and every time I'd watch it the behavior of these people. And then I realized it's Schrader's writing, right? Like as I, as I got to know more about Schrader, Schrader really sort of delves into the psychology and the behavioral psychology of people. Julian played by gear, you know, he plays Julian K. Um, you know, he's a hustler, dude. He does not, I mean, he, you know, he's got two rules. <laughs> One is, you know, and I, I don't want to say it, if you've seen the movie, you know what it is. The other is uh, he, nothing's wasted with him. Like, like he doesn't waste his time. You know, there's a scene where um, Anne, his uh, sort of mentor, says, hey, you want to, the girls would love it if you hung out with them and, you know, maybe spend some time with them out there on the patio and they're at the beach house. And he's like, no, absolutely not. Like, he's just like, no, I'm not getting it. There's no reason. There's nothing for me. They can do nothing for me. So it's always about with Julian, what can they do for me, you know? And, you know, he's sort of, he, he, he's an escort who, you know, basically caters to older females. That's his thing because, you know, it's uncomplicated uh, until it's not. Uh, but, you know, Hutton's in it. Hector Elizondo, who's never given a bad performance. I totally, you know, I watch, it's funny because like sometimes I'll, if I, you know, I go a bit without seeing this, I'll replace Hector with F. Murray Abraham <laughs> in this movie because uh, he plays uh, Detective Sunday. Uh, he's so good, man. I mean, it's funny because, you know, and then as Elizondo and gear, you know, reunited years later and in, in uh, pretty woman, which is pretty hilarious to think about the fact that, uh, the American gigolo is now this millionaire who's picking up tricks right. on Hollywood Boulevard. See the weird movie irony there, but I mean, there's some great performances in this. The, those that I just mentioned also Bill Duke as Leon. Fantastic. It's funny too, man, because, uh, this might be the first thing I ever saw Bill Duke in. And I don't think I ever made the connection that it was Bill Duke until well after I had seen Predator. Right. Uh, because, in, you know, again, it was 10 or 11 when I saw it, you know, and up until Predator came out in 87. So, you know, I'd seen it several times on cable, and, but I never in my mind, I, again, I don't think I ever put it together that it was Bill Duke until I was, you know, well after I'd seen Predator. I was like, oh shit. Like I randomly watched Gigolo again, like, you know, sometime in the 90s. I was like, holy shit. Bill Duke. <laughs> All right. But I mean, you get to really see it, it's a, it's a time capsule of Los Angeles and it, it's, it, and it's, it's shot very, it's shot so beautiful. I mean, Los Angeles looks amazing in it. So that led me to, cause I, there is some hesitation as everybody knows, there's a new American gigolo on Showtime, which I'd like to talk about. Cause I've, I watched the pilot after watching American gigolo. Well, I was leading up because everyone was asking me if I'd seen it because they know I like American Gigolo. And I was like, I haven't seen it yet. I'm kind of like, all right. You know, again, like we talk all the time, like Total Recall, right? You have a built in, like, nope, not going to do it. Just not going to do it. It's not going to be good. But if Total Recall tell me one thing, it's like, okay, look, I'm going to give it a shot. So I watched the movie, fucking love the movie, went right into the pilot. 
for the series. And I got to say, man, the pilot's pretty good. <laughs> and uh, there's two new episodes. They're airing every Friday on Showtime. And uh, I am going to catch up now. But uh, so let me go back. Julian K. now played by John Bernthal. It picks up 20 years after the end of American Gigolo. He's, he's, at, he's, he's, being, he's been released from prison. You know, he meets up with Michelle, now played by Gretchen Mole, who we love from the 13th floor and other things. But you get all those people, right? Like all the characters from the film are there. Richard Stratton. The one thing they did was weirdly, uh, well, not weirdly, they just did. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell now plays Detective Sunday, which was played by Elisondo. But the one super inspired piece of casting so far that I'm going to say is Lorenzo, who is... I guess you want to call him Julian's pimp, for lack of a better word, who was played by Bill Duke in the original is now played by Wayne Brady. Wow. And I got to say, man, Wayne Brady's really, really good in this. He's great in the pilot. So I can't wait to see where it picks up and where it goes. It's, it's not a period piece. It's not really set in the 80s, but it kind of has a timeless quality to it. So while it's set 20 years after, I guess it's saying, I guess it's 20 years after? You know, I'd have to go back and really, I kind of maybe missed that part, but I think it's 20 years. He went to jail for a 20 year stretch. So, you know, but the movie looks great. You know, Bernthal is one of those actors who, uh, you know, he does a lot by doing a little, right? Not unlike Gosling's performance in Drive. He doesn't say a lot. He does a lot of, uh, a lot of sort of silent brooding acting, Mm -hmm. you know, facial expressions and, you know, and, uh, but then, uh, so I was like, well, and I'm like, well, I guess, you know, gear, gear is pretty low key that Julian, that's just the character. Right. But Bernthal's great for me in that pilot, the standout, the thing that jumped out off the screen to me was Wayne Brady, which was crazy. I didn't even realize he was in it because I didn't look at anything. I didn't want to know anything. I had seen the trailer. I knew Bernthal was in it, but yeah, man, it's really well shot. It's, you know, Jerry Bruckheimer's, it's, you know that it's going to look good and it's going to feel like a movie, you know, and I, I can't wait to see where this story, you know, sort of goes. So that's what I'm pitching this weekend. Go back and watch American Gigolo, the movie, and then go right into the series. You, by the time you do that, you'll probably be, you'll be four episodes in, I think. There's a new episode airs this Friday, the 30th. And I think there's three out now. So, you know, you'll, if you go to the movie, jump right in. Yeah. You got some, you got four more hours of this story to unfold. And it's, uh, it's quite fascinating actually. It's funny when you were talking to me about it over the weekend, I was saying that, I, you know, I hadn't seen American Gigolo when I went to go look at the cat. I mean, like I'm a massive Paul Schrader fan and it, it reminded me that I'm like, oh, you know, I haven't looked at these bits in a while. And he's done these like movies. His thing about his, his stuff rarely gets like front page news on, on, Hey, this movie's coming out. Right. If, you have to be really paying attention to his stuff. And it reminded me about the shit that happened because Everybody knows that we're massive, massive Nick Cage fans. Well, Schrader and Nick Cage worked together on a movie called Dying of the Light probably like eight years ago at this point, somewhere around there. Yeah. And here's a man who, Paul Schrader, who's so ingrained, so well-respected in the business. You know, I could stack the dominoes uh, of the man's reputation and he still deals with bullshit. Yeah. Bureaucratic producer bullshit because Dying of the Light does not feel like a Paul Schrader movie. And he's been very vocal. He was very vocal about at the time that, hey, you know what? These producers did not let me edit the movie the way I wanted it to be. Schrader, 
and writes everything that he directs. That's just him. His claim to fame is writer first, director second. Yep. So he's writing with directing in mind the whole time he's writing, even specifically to this movie, Dying of the Light. It got so bad that he almost denounced the movie and he actually did a recut of the movie. And I'm like, well, he can't just put it out. And this is one of those rarities where somebody recuts a movie and you can actually see it online. It's called Dark. He did this about four years after the release, somewhere around there. I'll put a link to it in the, the show notes. But it's it takes his movie that was, gosh, what was the runtime on? Just let me double check it real quick. The runtime on Dying of the Light, the release version, was an hour and 34 minutes. This version is an hour and 15, just an hour and 16 minutes. You got to figure there's no credits in it because it's just his cut of what he had available to him. Sure. they. This is the cut they use to create the work prints for the movie. Um, there's no real high-res footage, so it makes me think it's all low-res. 2013, when the movie was filmed, 2014 in post, probably is going to look okay. I haven't had a chance to dive into it yet. It's just reminding me about it. I had no idea it was even available online. I was going to go into talking about the cast that's in the American Gigolo feature because somebody in that movie is one of my favorite people in the world, Kate Callan. She's a tremendous actress, but this is the most terrible segue you're going to have. Kate Callan is in a new movie coming out soon called Poker Face. Now, she doesn't have a big part in it, but she's in it. And this is Russell Crowe's second movie directing. I'm super excited about it because I'm like, I, I remember hearing about it and he hasn't directed, and ironically, he hadn't directed a movie since Schrader did, did the other movie, Dying of the Light, 2014. Russell's like one of those dudes, like he just really gets it. There's some people in front of the camera that can't make that transition to make a decent movie uh, add behind the camera. We saw that with Kevin Spacey, he was an albino alligator. Right. The, the last thing that, that, that Crow had done was the, the Water Diviner, of an Australian movie. <laughs> it's just, a, it's just a, uh, it wasn't great. It was such a weird movie, but I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to seeing something like this because it seems to be more about the, about performances because it's about a poker game. Right. And about he's in wrestle as this big tech guy who uh, has a bunch of his buddies come out, childhood friends to play his little poker. Now I got to think it can't be that straightforward, right? Yeah, I hope not. We talk about the great comedic timing that Russell has. You don't usually see it until you got to nice guys and you get to see how good he really is. You see little things here and there and and over his career, but that movie really showcases that. I have a feeling that this might be a little bit all over the place based on the cast. It's got Riza in it, dude. <laughs> so it's got, I, I'm hoping he's playing poker. They're friends from, because uh, Russell's in Riza's movie, the, uh, the Western. And Man with the Iron Fist, right? Man with the Iron Fist. And I feel like Russell was supposed to maybe be in Cutthroat City at one point. Yeah. And they, and they were also American Gangster together, too. There you go. Yeah, dude. I, I think Riza is one of those few hip hop artists that made the transition. And he didn't just make the transition, man. He made like, I'm not just in front of the camera. He's scoring stuff for Quentin. He's in front of the camera. He's behind the camera. He's writing. He's directing. He's doing so much stuff. I remember when Iron Fist came out, I was like, I was really surprised that someone gave him that much money. And man, what a fucking fun movie that is. I think Riz is a really talented dude and I'm, and I'm really happy for it. But it, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. I mean, isn't that the whole point of Wu-Tang? Is like <laughs> their, their personas are all based around all the movies that they watched when they were younger. Right? That, that was, is correct. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that he ended up being 
an accomplished martial arts director when he finally got a chance to do something like that. I really thought he was, yeah, yeah Iron Fist is a good time. By the way, is that showing anywhere? Because I haven't seen that in a bit. Oh, it's on Hulu. Yeah, buddy. I just because it just came across my. It's funny. It came across my uh, my algorithm yesterday. Yeah, I was just say the the funny thing about the about Schrader is you know I mean I'm a giant Schrader fan. I and I look back at all these you know movies that sort of shaped my sensibilities of the human. And I'm like, yeah, I saw, maybe I saw too many Paul Schrader movies as a kid. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about Jiggle, when you're, how long, how young, when you, knowing it was a first run for you while it was on HBO, I mean, what would that be like 81, right? Somewhere around there. Yep. Yep. Oh God, exactly. Dude. I know. Yeah, I know. That's rough. And shortly after that, I think I saw Hardcore. <laughs> I had seen blue collar, you know, before, all this before I was 15. That's uh, that's an education. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, there you go. You know, it's, uh, you know, as, you know, as long as I was not in, I mean, my parents, if, you know, it was 11 o'clock at night and they're like, well, at least he's in the house or I guess, I mean, I have no idea. I don't think they ever, I don't think they ever really paid any attention to what I was watching. I mean, uh, you know, this led me down. Like, you know, I, I saw Breathless shortly after this <laughs> in a theater. My brother and I snuck in to see Breathless. One funny thing I wanted to say about the original American Gigolo is when you know you, you when you're a kid and you you watch this. So here's what was mind blowing for me. Mrs. Coburn, who is uh, one of Julian's clients, Julian's her arm piece at these funding. She's playing a well-to-do woman. The moment I realized that Carol Cook was the same Carol Cook who plays the grandmother, the cigarette smoking grandmother <laughs> who says, Oh, she got her boobies in 16 candles. It, right. it was kind of a mind blower, dude. <laughs> yeah, I would hope so. Yeah. I know where you've been stepping out on Grandpa Fred. <laughs> Dong. With Julian. Dong. Sorry. Her donger. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's just funny. Like, you know, when you go back and watch these early Schrader movies, man, they're just populated. I mean, dude, there's the, the, the cast are great. And they're, you know, Schrader is a, you know, a, a real filmmaker. And, you know, now that he's, uh, you know, what is he? 60? Yeah, he might be 70 some now, but I mean, you're right. Like, I feel like all of his movies feel like there's some interference there. I, you know, with the exception of, uh, first reformed, I felt like that was a movie. Whoever funded, left him alone, let him do his thing. Right. The card counter, which came out last year, right? Same thing, you know. It's uh, he's one of those filmmakers who, you know, I, mean, I don't want. I hate using that term, maverick filmmaker, but you know, yes, I mean, no, no, that's a, that's, a, that's a fair, that's a fair definition of of him. He's 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 a journeyman that anytime I see his name on the screen, I'm in. Yeah, me too. But sometimes, like I was noting earlier you don't know he's got something coming because his stuff is so low right. key as far as the promotional aspect, because it's not a fucking Marvel movie. <laughs> right. And it's, and it's not a star Wars movie. So it's rarely pumped up like it should be. Dude. I remember not even knowing about dog eat dog until I saw the DVD or the Blu-ray. <laughs> See, that's what's wrong. That's what's wrong. Man. I remember, I remember the last, well, remember when they took a uh, dude, cause his exorcist movie is, I, I think it's great. Dominion. Yeah. Um, but you know, the studio hated it so much. They let Rennie Harlan fucking reshoot half of it and cut it together. And, uh, yeah. and that's what they released theatrically. It was that Rennie Harlan one, which as much as I enjoy it, it's, it's a disaster. Yeah. I, but there I, are, and that was coming off of autofocus, which was, you know, unda I mean, to me, autofocus is one of his best movies. Yeah. 
Um, you know, and I love affliction and uh, I'm a big light sleeper fan, you know? So again, there are a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of Paul Schrader uh, running around in my head. Light of day is another one, right? Like right. that came out back in the day and, you know, everybody thought, Oh, Michael J. Fox is going to be, you know, it, it wasn't Michael J. Fox. It, you know, it wasn't teen wolf. It wasn't back to the future. Right. It was the first time, you know, I saw you know some serious acting from Fox. Good stuff. Remember how weird that whole thing was, is that it was supposed to be called born on the 4th of July. Yeah. And the, and the whole thing was going to be tied to it. And Springsteen kind of like said, no, no. Cause at that time, right. Springsteen was massive. His born, born as far as, uh, you know, born in the USA had been the, like, was, yeah. was still sending was, songs into the fucking top got, 40, I, like two years after. Yeah. I have to correct myself. You know what I see? This is the problem that we both have sometimes. Was, yes. Born on the, it was bo- Bo- supposed to be called born in the USA. Born in the I USA. knew where you were going. I know. That. See, the problem is yes. that you, we both know we have a shorthand and sometimes the mic that doesn't, you, you people hear and go, you fucking said it wrong. <laughs> That's because we both know what we're talking about when a person mistakenly identifies something, a movie or a person. So that's, again. <laughs> right. Jennifer Beale. Born in the USA. So so what ended up happening with that whole thing? When Springsteen said, no, no, you can't use my song. He wrote the theme song for the movie Light of Day for them. I don't, By the way, speaking of that movie, I really enjoy that movie. I, I find Joan Jett more believable than Michael J. Fox is in that movie, honestly. Yeah, and Michael McKean. Yeah, as my well. God, he's so good. Yeah, that's a fun movie, man. I, I mean, fun, not fun. That was a good romp. It was. It's just. It's a well-made movie because it's fucking Schrader. I and even with those people in it, even with Michael J. Fox, and that was a weird movie for him to choose to do where he was at in his career. I mean, he was, he was in demand, dude. He would people wanted to see his stuff, dude. He could do what he was writing his own ticket at that point. Yeah, yeah, and and you know what it was. I'm going to make a movie with Paul Schrader. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah. What, would you say that was the secret of his, his success? Yeah. Because <laughs> he was done making movies. Dude, how many movies did he make that were exactly the same? Secret of My Success. Yeah. For Love or Money. And there was a third one. I, mean, I guess in a lot of ways, Doc Hollywood is very similar to that whole thing. Yeah. But, and I'm not taking shots at those movies. I'm just talking about the, you know, the repetitiveness of what he was doing. At that point, he wasn't really big on doing that that thing a lot of actors do these days, but we're starting to do right around them. You know, one for the studio, one for me. I think he did like, I think his ratio was something like five to one. And this was his, Four, yeah. and light of day was his one. And unfortunately, it, it didn't see a lot of eyes until it hit cable. Right. Right after that, he tried to, he, again, he tried to get, he did uh, Bright Lights, Big City, the Jay, the, the Jay McInerney novel, right? right. Like, uh, and that was an- another movie that, you know, people were like, oh, you know, nobody wanted to see Michael J. Fox clubbing around with Kiva Sutherland and doing Blow in New York in the 80s, I guess. Right. But I, I actually really liked that movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And, and I'm going to I'm gonna kind of roll back to autofocus real quick. Yep. We've talked before here and there when his name comes up. I think Greg Kinnear is one of the fucking most underrated actors in working. Oh. And he is tremendous as Bob Crane. He's so good. And then William William Defoe is John Carpenter right there with him. And and Maria Bello. It, it's it's a good cast, but but really it, Kinnear and Defoe are so amazing together. And if you know anything about the movie, then you understand why they're together a lot in the movie. <laughs> but Yeah. Please see it. If you haven't seen it, it's on Tubi right now. There's a freebie for you right there. Just be prepared. 
it's a Paul Schrader movie. <laughs> and you're going to get something that you, if you're not super familiar with his work, you you might be a little surprised by uh, um, the grittiness yeah. of it. If you want to say that. Yeah. Yeah, man. And again, this is, this is another movie I was saying, you know, the psychological behavior that, you know, the study of human behavior, yep. you know, and, and this is it in a microcosm. This is a weird, look, this movie ties right in to hardcore American gigolo. Out of focus. I mean, if you're if you're if you're familiar with Schrader's work, there's a sort of a theme that runs through the majority of it. Right. So you, yeah, I mean, you shouldn't be shocked when you watch this if you if you know anything about Schrader. <laughs> I would. Uh, me, I would I, hope not. Uh, me, I would hope not. For most people, it's it's Taxi Driver. That was the first time you heard his name attached to you know as a writer. Right. And because of that, I mean, what does that movie scream as far as location? New York, New York, New York, right? And he did Raging Bull later on after. I mean, actually, the same. Oh, dude, he, Rolling Thunder is another gem that he wrote. Yep, I you know. Rolling Thunder is another one of those ones where I, I, dude, and that's like old school filmmaking, right? You know, Bill Devane and oh, Tommy Lee Jones, it's young Tommy movie. Lee Jones, and that, right? Fuck, dude. Oh yeah, love the shit out of that movie. And James Best. Pluto TV. Look, we're giving you some gems here that are free right now for you. Rolling Thunder on Pluto. Yep. Yeah. That dude, that's what's so fun about that movie. You get to see, you get to see a movie that really, I mean, 77, 76, 77. When was it? It was 70, 77. I yeah. Think, for Rolling Thunder. We're, and that's when you're coming out of the, when we talked about this with the driver, you're coming out of a certain type of movie making from and you, you're still getting a 70s sensibility through that mid 70s. This is one of those few that were still kind of hanger honors of that style of movie making. And you really, oh man, you feel it in a big way. John Flynn, who directed Rolling Thunder, he's also the man that, that oh, yeah. directed the outfit. And the outfit we've talked about here and there. Yep. That's another amazing one. I just saw it the other day. That motherfucker is on HBO Max right now. I had no idea. And I'm like, I put it in my list, dude. I got to watch it. I haven't seen it. Oh, The Outfit is such a fucking great movie. In 20 years. This is a movie that I watched with my dad whenever it was on regular TV. You know, when you had to go and run, take a piss in between commercials and stuff. Yep. But but that's another tremendous movie. Karen Black, Joe Don Baker, Bobby Duvall. So, so, so good. So good. Damn, man. I didn't know what I was going to talk about, man. But that's straighter, like, let you right into all this fucking great crime stuff. Well, yeah. if you want to go down to John Flynn, we also talk about bestseller a lot. Bestseller, dude. <laughs> yeah. Th- see, this is like a, this is what I'm saying. This is like a, this is like a rabbit hole, right? When you open this, like, uh, you know, this is like a whole subgenre of like, uh, you know, these are movies that people may or may not be familiar with. And I mean, you know, Paul Schrader has got his hands in like everything I can think of from my formative years. I mean, he wrote the last temptation of Christ. Yep. In my opinion, he wrote the last great Scorsese movie, bringing out the dead with Nicholas cage. And it has a lot of, it's this it has a lot of, I mean, if I was to throw three movies together about New York, I would throw together taxi driver after hours and bringing out the dead. It's that weird sort of kinetic, New York nightlife, uh, you know, that, you know, doesn't, sadly doesn't exist now. It's just, it's populated with these characters and these weird people. And again, Schrader, you know, so, Hey, check out American Gigolo. Yeah. That's another thing too, is like, you know, because he's his, because his work screams New York, when you see a whole bunch of his work being taken place in LA, that's surprising. 
for, I was, I mean, I was blown away at how much that, how often that happens. So by the way, real quick, John, John Flynn towards the end of his career, right? Good God. What's going on over yeah, there? Yeah, what's going on here? Whoa, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Sorry. We've been invaded by pavement. Uh-oh. Pavement. <laughs> well. Harness your hopes, Corey. We we are, we we love our Bill Foresight. And we, have we even covered a movie, Bill Foresight, yet? We haven't, have we? Uh, we got no, we, often, we got really close when the pandemic first kicked in to cover because we were going to cover Seagal and we can, we were going to do Out yeah. for Justice and we didn't. John Flynn, by the way, towards the end of his career behind the camera. Well, we can get Graf back on and we can talk. We can talk a lot of Bill Forsyth during Extreme Prejudice. Yeah, we need to do that. Oh, if we plug that Extreme Prejudice again, eleven ninety nine, dude. Amazon, get that shit. Yep, get it <laughs> while while you can. Anyway, uh, we were going to talk a little bit about, um, let's just kind of get to it real quick and we'll, we, we can close this fucker out since we got a really short one last week. By the way, how do we like a really short Amityville horror episode? <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so we got one more left for remakes that nobody asked for coming this Friday. Um, it's a good closer. It's a, it's a fun conversation. It's... Uh, fortunately for that movie, it does fare better than Amityville Horror. Yes. <laughs> uh, Indeed. And, and I promise you, it'll be at least one second longer than the other, than, than the 25 minutes and 30. I can't believe how, that was like a kickstart length episode, but. Well, it felt like we talked about it for two hours. That's how exhausting <laughs> it was. I've been, I guess that's I, what happens when you're when you're not doing nothing but swearing. When you have something like our third episode we ever recorded was a three and a half hour extravaganza of Silver Bullet. We've talked about this on the show here and there. The and, Great White Whale. And I, yes, and it's what's so funny about it is listening to it raw, like I did last week, just figuring out, hey, is this something I can do and cut down? The intention was we were going to cut it down and put it on Patreon. And well, unfortunately, there is no place to do that for us, for us anymore until, you know, Patreon figures itself out or we find another platform where we can share our wares outside of the public feed. It's funny listening to it because I, I, I want to finish listening to the whole thing because it's long. I mean, I, I have to go to work one more trip so I can finish it because... It, it, there's, it takes a while to get through three and a half hours of stuff. And I want to, after we're, I'm done, I want to listen to the, our commentary and see how many little things that we cherry picked from that three and a half hours and threw in the commentary when we were watching it. Uh, anyway, so remakes that nobody asked for. Clothes are coming on Friday. I think it's at a couple of places streaming. I think October is going to be a fun one too, because we're going to do some stuff that nobody usually does in October. And so I'm very excited. That's right. about it. Yeah. And we're just going to yeah. leave it at that because we're all about surprises and nobody gets anything early. Since I said, we don't have a platform to share stuff early, no early access, unfortunately. So everybody gets it on Friday. Like everybody else gets it Friday. You'll just have to wait. You're just going to have to wait. And as Tom Petty would say, the waiting is the hardest part. It is. All right, then. Yeah. Well, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do that at Karate Pod. Same thing with the Letterboxd, which will be up this weekend. 
I promise everybody by October 1st. And that is on shit. That is Sunday. Is that Sunday? It is. No, it's Saturday. Saturday, right? Yeah, yeah. Because, oh, yeah. Yeah, Saturday. Holy crap. Yeah. Anyway, and also uh, Karate Pot on the Insta. Or if you want to follow Corey on on Letterboxd, it's Corey underscore Culp. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at rockandroll33 on your Instagram. Or you can follow me at juliank at letterboxd.com. That's Julian K. K K-A-Y-E. At Letterboxd. (laughs) That's two gear references in, in two consecutive kickstarts. I know. You didn't do it on, Am- well, you did it on Amityville, didn't you? I did. <laughs> for, a sh- for an episode that was that short, man, there was some funny shit in it. There was. <laughs> I, I can't recall the last time you were on mic. I mean, I've talked to you enough times when you were worked up and fired up, but boy, you were- <laughs> Oh, dude, I just was not... <laughs> That dog thing just fucking infuriated me, You know, me, it's it's funny. And you know what the thing is, is I finished the movie a half hour before we talked about it. Oh, geez. So no wonder it was that's so why. fresh for you. And that's yeah. why, that's why if you guys heard the pickup on it, we had, we had technical issues and where I, there's a moment where I say, well, I think we said about as much as we're going to say about it. That was a pickup we did three days later, two days later, whatever it was. Right. And that's why we sound dramatically different. Right. A little less, little less amped up. Yeah. A little less aggro. We were having some tech issues, so it was just easier for us to do that. But yeah, it was, uh, and that's the thing we, I mean, we didn't really get into this too much. Now that the episode's out, I want to say that anybody who's listening to the show knows how we're massive animal lovers and, and especially dogs. And we've discussed it numerous times. I mean, you just don't kill dogs on screen. With, with an asterisk next to it, and you got to give me a really, really compelling reason why you need to do that. As we said, there's nothing compelling about Amityville Horror. So, of course, the death of their dog in the movie is just, what the fuck? And when you consider that nobody else dies in the movie once these people move into this house. Yeah. It's like, it, the only thing that dies is the fucking dog. I mean, that's the difference, too, between this and Evil Dead 2013. We're not fond of what happens to Grandpa on that. Not even a little bit. But the rest of the movie is entertaining. It's it's a fun movie. I mean, for what you... I mean, you're walking into a... <laughs> I mean, I'm still not down with it, but... No, I'm not, I'm not either. It's... But there was nothing redeeming about the Amityville remake. Just nothing. And so when you put something like that in there, again, when we talked about that before, sometimes people just do shit like that. They're to do shit. Dude, it's a cheap fucking ploy. Yeah. Be better than that is all I'm saying. That's yeah. all I'm going to say about Amityville. Yeah. There. Be better than that. <laughs> there, I can tag that on. Now Now it's, now it's almost 26 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs>